Today's episode is sponsored by Study Notes ABA. As you know, it is the best prep you can use to pass the BCBA, BCABA exam. Now, I know there's been the big changes, which I'm super excited about, that the test is offered all year long. We're still going to have our cohorts. Our next collective cycle is starting March 9th, so sign your ass up. That will be opened when you hear this podcast. We are also going to have a lot of other great things to take advantage of to match up with the new testing cycle being open all year. So join your favorite bitches and learn about behavior because we're here for it and your ass better be too. We are so excited for these changes because guess what? There's immediate reinforcement. Woo! Y'all, you're going to find out your results ASAP. That means you don't wait 45 days. That means that we are going to be offering a ton more classes. Guess what, though? You still need the collective because it takes a while to study for this exam. And we have got you from day one to day 20 of whatever it may be that you need to study. So not to worry. Your bitches got you covered with these new changes. Love ya. Mean it. It's behavior bitches. Hey, guys. It's Liat. And Casey. And we're back. And it is freaking episode 36. Casey, what's the rhyme for today? 36. 36. We are the behavior chicks. You better get with our click, baby. That is my rhyme. And Casey had another one. Casey had a better one today, which is more on brand to what we're talking about. And it was episode 36, Turning Tricks. All right. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was like nervous to do it. Our 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 guest is our is guest he... is already speaking, but he can't speak yet. <laughs> but, but he likes us already, okay, or hates us. I don't know, but whatever. <laughs> All right, guys, and we never start an episode without our review of the day because we want to reinforce your friggin' behavior of leaving us five stars on Apple Podcast or sending us super sweet things through Instagram message or Facebook message today. I have a really great one from Apple Podcast by Costa underline DA. It could be an underscore. I'm not really quite sure what you call those things. It was called My Self-Care, and it was five freaking stars. She said, absolutely and incredibly so thankful for Liat and Casey. I have been listening to the podcast since it began. Liat and Casey are real, relatable, knowledgeable, and make discussing and learning the topics of ABA enjoyable. Listening to the podcast is part of my self-care routine weekly, or I listen as often as new episodes are released. And I am so grateful for this resource to help link behavior concepts as they are relatable to real life. Thank you, ladies, for the light bulb moments with a light bulb emoji. Guys, if you know anything about the collective or our podcast, all we want is light bulb moments where you're like, shit, that makes sense. This science that has been around for friggin' 60 years that may not make sense to you and you may be struggling. This is our friggin' goal. Bring you real life relatable shit. It is human behavior. So thank you for that review. And leave us more reviews. Leave us more reviews. We love them and preferably only five stars. If you have something not nice to say, if you got something not nice to say, um, send us a private message. You don't need to share it with the world. You know, we are into being reinforced. Leave us five stars. You could find us on behaviorbitches.com, Instagram at behaviorbitchespodcast, and Facebook at behaviorbitchespodcast. For today's episode, the behavioral principles we will cover are going to be MOs, 
reinforcers, competing reinforcers, DRAs, functionally equivalent behaviors, matching law, generalization of skills. He refers to these as transitional skills, verbal behavior, and so many other things. Okay, now we are so excited to get started and we can tell our guest is too because he's laughed at some of our jokes already. He's unable to keep it under wraps until he's revealed, but don't worry. His name is Armand King. He's 38 years old. He's the co-founder of a nonprofit called Paving Great Futures. I'm sorry. Fueled by his experience in the streets, King serves as a shepherd to guide others out of the prison pipeline, criminal activity, and domestic human sex trafficking. What? This is going to be so interesting. Oh my gosh. He feels his mission in life is a path set out for him by God with his only goal being saving lives from the many pitfalls that he has witnessed himself growing up in the underserved communities in San Diego. Love me some San Diego. Armand's experience includes creating and implementing new programs serving former gang members, criminal justice involved, and high-risk youth. Armand serves on boards and task forces on law enforcement relations in regard, uh, regarding human trafficking and vic- victim advocacy issues. He conducts community outreach for at-risk individuals. Um, I mean, he just does so many cool things. He serves as a credible messenger and mentor to young adults and juveniles on probation or in custody. Armand draws upon his direct experience with the criminal justice system, including incarceration, which made me obsessed with him already. I'm obsessed with prison. If anyone knows anything about me, not that I want to go. And She's the challenge experienced in her life. I have had no experience. I'm an annoying behavior bitch, but whatever. I love watching about it. <laughs> and the challenges of re-entry into the system. And he really wanted to guide others. For many years, he was misguided by the streets and helped to misguide others. Not realizing the detriment of his actions, life for him is now filled with rewriting his past but helping others pave a greater future. Without further ado, introducing the king, Armand. Welcome to our show. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be on this show. Just from the intro and your previous conversations, I know I can be uncandid, be myself, be raw, and not give a fuck about it, and not have to explain myself to no motherfucking body and really give you my all. So let's get it in times 10, my friend. Uh, Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. We can't say the word fuck. I'm just kidding. Okay. Just fucking kidding. Just fucking kidding. (laughs) I I really didn't give a shit. (laughs) I love your energy, Armand. Um, I will tell you. That is energy that that I literally, it's like breeding my energy. I taught um, you that new word the other day. It's like millennials are saying it called BDE. Do you know what that is? Body deodorant. <laughs> no, it's called Big, big Dick. Fucking deal. No, it's called Big Dick oh, Energy. No. When someone oh, has great energy. <laughs> no, girls, girls can have it too. Like people tell me, Leah, you have big dick energy. And I love that shit. Big dick energy is like, I love your energy. You light up a room. It's amazing. You know, it's just some dumb shit us millennials say. But anyways, before we get started, I just want to go over the operational definition of pimping because we have to operationally define everything in behavior. Right. And pimping, I'm going to give you the definition. And this is just from your local Oxford dictionary. Nothing exciting. Not Jay-Z's definition. No one else's definition. Not David Banner's. And this is the action or practice of controlling prostitutes and arranging clients for them, taking part of their earnings in return. All right. Armand. Let me tell you something ahead of time. When I spoke to you before the show, 
I freaking loved you if you didn't catch on to that. And when I spoke to my mom after on the phone, I was like, mom, I just want to tell you, I just spoke to an ex pimp on the phone and she's South African. And she was like, oh my God, were you like, you just want to punch him in the face? And I was like, not at all. I actually want to give him the biggest hug. I fucking loved him. And, and I said, you know what, mom, everyone does something for a reason. Like when I spoke to him, there's such a reason or what we call an MO into how we got into this and what he's doing now is so amazing. So I just want to thank you before we even get to talking to you for coming on and sharing this world, this world, sharing with the world, this word, and yeah. just sharing with everyone your story. I think it's so powerful. Absolutely. You're the voice so, behind the voiceless, right, baby? 100%. 100%. Somebody had to. because I mean, even now, as I, I've been involved in this, um, this anti-human sex trafficking realm, I've been involved for since, actively involved since 2014, still to this day, have I found another one of me pop up anywhere in the country. So somebody has to speak, because I know firsthand, there's, I'm not the only one. I have many friends, many friends that actually got to make it out. And I have many friends that actually lost their lives. But those many friends that made it out, they are not trying to talk to the world. They could give a fuck about this world. And, and they not even that they don't give a fuck about the world. Let me choose my words correctly. It's if you actually got involved in this lifestyle and you were able to live and not, or not catch a prison sentence and you aged up and made it out to where you're actually thinking, you look back and you realize it wasn't a game or a lifestyle. You were living a nightmare. And right. if you actually survived, why would a logical person, I'm crazy, but why would a logical person want to revisit that? I just don't give a fuck. So I'm involved. I'm in it. Yeah, you're living it. And I, one thing that I, I mean, of course, I'm the stalker of the podcast. Liat just comes on and is funny right off the candid. I'm behind the scenes. I'm listening to shit. I'm searching people, stalking. So right. one thing I listened to your podcast this morning um, is you had said, right, you had gone to, you would live this lifestyle, which you're going to tell us, right? You right. went to jail, you came out, and you went back into it, right? Because that's what you knew. Right. That was comfortable. You right. were safe there. But you had said you had done so much work when you were in the mm. system, in prison, that mm -hmm. you could no longer, you had risen almost above to the point where you could no longer almost justify those actions because you had learned too much about yourself, done reading, right. done things where you were right. like, I can't even do that. Right. That was it. Transition had started little, literally two months before I, I got out. I was in federal prison for a marijuana conspiracy. Right, which well, is legal. So yeah, I was gonna say it's legal terrible. now. It's legal now. So my timing was off. You know, I was 21, yeah. never been That's in trouble with time. the law before. Yeah, never been in trouble with the law before. But um, I get three years in federal prison. I've been in nine different institutions from here to Florida over some marijuana that people are getting rich off of now legally. So yeah. anyway, um, Chad, yeah, but it actually, <laughs> but you you can't say it was the wrong time. It was the right time because it wasn't available legally. So. You can't make as much money being a dealer on the street now. 100%. And I made a lot of money at 20 years old. Uh, I had made over a quarter million dollars within six months. I've had every car you can imagine. I learned a lot. I Tell us lot. about your car collection. And then we got to start from your childhood. Uh, myself personally, I mean, well, my, my group was so tight knit, like we almost had the same cars, but myself personally, I know at one point in time, me and my friend had twin Lexuses. I had a BMW. To, at the time, 2001 Monte Carlo, that was brand new. Um, Jaguar, 
at 20. 20? Driving Bentley, driving Maserati. Yeah, I thought you said like a Bentley, a Maserati. Right, all that. You name it, we had it. I probably forgot the cars we had. My car at 20 was a 1986 Ford Tempo. It was a complete K car. Hey, 4 but, hey, and as much as I'm talking about these fancy cars, I wish I was driving that. I may have had those three years back of my life if I had realized, but I was trying to be fast and shiny like everybody I've seen on BET and MTV. That was my outreach. I wanted to look like the bling bling guys. All right. So before we get into all this, everything's so exciting about him. So, but I think that we need to start by going back to. Can you tell us about your childhood? What kind of home you grew up in? Also, guys, this is the background information and in behavior, this is often the MO. Let's see what the background information is. What, how did you grow up? What was your background info? I have it all written down, but I'm gonna leave it for you to say. Okay, mm -hmm. and then, um, like when this question's asked, often asked about my background and my childhood, I can't help but say I had a, a bad childhood, but it wasn't as bad as a lot of people I knew and know. And like, I, I deal with this population still today and I hear these stories and I'm like, fuck, I had it good compared to some of these kids. So when I speak, I'm not just speaking for me, Armand King, I'm speaking for a, a bunch of youth and young men and young women that grew up through the shit. So my so my particular childhood it was rocky you know a lot of turmoil between my parents uh not it wasn't physical violence but it was a lot of verbal mental abuse you know it was times when my dad tried to kill our whole family yeah i've gone through it you know about 10 years old they finally set my parents finally separated totally um between 10 and 12 off and on 12 years old i was a homeless kid going to junior high um at the time my mom took on two of my uh my girl cousins one was a a newborn, one was my same age. Their mother was addicted to crack cocaine. So my mom had brought them in right before we lost our house and ended up homeless. Homeless doesn't mean you're sleeping under a bridge or downtown or anything like that. Homeless means we just don't have a house of our own. So we, we would sleep at any house that would allow us to stay there for until they got tired of us. So we bounced house to house for approximately two and a half years until my mom finally got on her feet and got us an apartment. But at that time with me, I had already been in, in, indoctrinated into the streets. I was a wannabe gang member at that time. So by 15, I wasn't coming home. I spent most of my time at my friend's house. And I had a, a, a girlfriend at the time who, thank God, her dad worked at night and overnight. So I went to sleep with her and then go to ninth grade from her house in the morning or from my friend's house. And by 17 years old, I had legitimately had my own apartment. Junior year, senior year, I had my own apartment. I had to pay rent and go to school, which I did and graduated. So, um, you know, majority of my childhood, I've been hustling. Like literally I started selling weed at 12 years old. I, the weed has been my fallback. It's kind of like the family business for a long time. Uh, I I've always considered myself a hustler. I had to do it. If I had to steal food, I would steal food to feed my family. And one thing looking back at myself, I never hustled for me as an individual to just be up and everybody else be down. I always hustled for my people, my family, my friends. It's always been my mentality still to this day. But yeah, so I, I've done, you name it, I've done it and um, perfected it. And I really wish now looking back, looking at the skills and the fucking the shit I was doing, like if somebody was in, intervened in my life and showed me how to use those skills towards something legitimate, I'd be a millionaire right now. 
You know, it's almost like when you're younger, you don't give a fuck. You have the energy, the drive. You're not scared of shit because you've never been burnt by fire before. You don't even know what it feels like. So you don't care. We would take chances for our money. We would take chances with our life because we didn't care. But as you get older, you're like more, uh oh, nope, because you know what the fire feels like. You bumped your head a few times. So you don't necessarily go all in like you do. But the closer you get to 30 and after, you're more like, mm, mm, mm. You're, you're not doing it. So I'm I personally right now, I'm trying to combine that youth, not giving a fuck with my consciousness now and, and then go because you had it when you were younger because you, mm-hmm. you didn't know any better. You didn't know you need to be scared of, of this and that. So like what we call this, it. yeah, it's, in, it's in his repertoire. Too. Right. So what you're talking about, Armand, for our listeners, right? So you're talking about when you're young and you're like, I don't know. I'm just trying to survive. Right. I don't care what it is. These unconditioned motivation operations like I need to eat. I need to pay hey, bills. Check right? this out. Fuck surviving. We were trying <laughs> to succeed. We, we would even say that. We like we would say that to each other. I'm 16 years old. And actually, it was a, honestly an older pimp that said this to us. It was a saying when people like, how you doing? Oh, I'm surviving. I'm surviving. You would say that. And one day we got shut down by an older pimp. And we, he asked us how we were doing. We said, we're surviving. He said, don't survive, succeed. He said, homeless people survive. Don't just survive, succeed. And that fucked me up. So I'm like, oh shit, you're right. I mean, but even then, like I could have survived. I've been surviving my whole life. I was like, no, I want what I see on TV. I want what those black dudes I'm watching on BET, even uh, MTV, them rappers. I want what they have. Those were my role models. And it was a shift in time where you had the gangster rap era. You had Snoop Dogg with the Dickie suits and low riders. And that was cool. Then you didn't care too much about money. Then here goes cash money. Here goes no limit. Here goes big rims, foreign cars, diamonds. And I'm like, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. It's shiny. I want that. You know, my whole <laughs> life up until about I, I, mean, I got involved in the gang. I started hustling at 12 and it was to feed my family. By 16, I was like, we're about to kill this. Let's get money. Let's bring our people up. Let's go. But by that time, I already knew what surviving was. I've already, you know, now I want that slice of American pie I've been hearing about my whole life. Because previous to that, I've been accepting the American crumb. Where's that pie at that everybody's bragging about? First of about? all, you're 38 years old. That is right. not old, number one. Also, you look like you're like 21. You literally look like you're 21. Hey, and I'm still 19. So let's go. So I will say though, what, uh, so you were talking about, okay, you're, you know, you're young, right? You haven't come into contact with the contingencies yet of the, let's say punishment or the crazy stuff. You're just out there like crazy. And then you turn 30 and you're never going to happen to me. It's never going to happen to me. Everyone else gets in trouble. Not me. But you were saying in your podcast, which I love, because this is what we talk about now, your behavior shit, you're getting Mm -hmm. older. Now we realize these contingencies are real, right? This punishment is real. There is no just all this following rules when you're younger, right? Like I'm going to do whatever. I was crazy when I was young too. I came from poor as could be literally when I was 12, I was same as you trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to keep on the lights for my family. Where am I going to get groceries from? Like, what am I going to do? And then you don't know. Now you turn what, I hit 30 and like everything changed also where I'm like, now I'm like shit quarterly taxes. I'm self-employed. Like this shit I would not care about when I was 22. I just like, give me money. Thank you. I'll hustle all day. I can. That comes through life experiences. Like I'm not sitting here as a 17 year old, 19 year old with limited experience. I'm sitting here right now at 38 who did three years in the feds. Who's um, 
you know, who, who has lost almost every one of my friends is dead right now. I'm lucky to be 38. Majority of my closest friends are dead, you know, and they didn't, a lot of them didn't get to see 30. So that makes, as you start realizing and understanding life, it's like, fuck, I've been losing my best, best friends since 12 years old consistently. And that's just, I'm talking, that's best friends, but not countless associates and people that you know and went to school with. And so it's, we become numb. We become numb to, we, you expect to hear about so-and-so getting murdered. You expect it. We don't cry anymore. And it's, and no one has ever, ever, even as a child, come to myself or people that I know and ask, are you okay? Like, are you all right? Counseling? What the fuck is that? That's a blunt in a bottle of Hennessy. What is counseling? <laughs> what is therapy? And replacement wonder, behavior, guys. Right. Replacement behavior. And you wonder, and we wonder why kids, why do you smoke so much weed? Because the fucking ain't nothing to help him else with. He got he's he's stuffing shit. He is yep. stuffing the feelings. You don't know what this young lady has been through. You don't know what this young man has been through. You don't know if either one of them was molested at four years old and don't know how to deal with it. There is no such thing as counseling around us. It's mm-hmm. get over it. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps and move Boot, on. Bootstraps on boots you don't even have. <laughs> Thank How the you. fuck am I supposed to pick myself up by bootstraps? I ain't even got no boots. You know what's I funny? Barely, my... I barely hold on to these holding okay, socks. Well, well, let me ask you a question, Armand. Yeah. I want to be the first. Okay? How are you doing? How are you doing with all this? Um, right now, um, uh, I operate from a dark place of pain. I, I, I want out. Um, I'm tired of I'm tired of helping people. Of course, I'm like I, I'm born and my my makeup is to help people, but I've been doing this consistently for eight years, and I swear you 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 know you see the help you're doing with people's lives, but people don't appreciate it, mm-hmm. and it gets to the point to where you you I've become like a lot of people's crutch, and um, I feel like a sponge because people they throw their problems to me because they know I'm going to feel it and I'm going to help them if I can and I'm going to deal with it. I care about people's problems more than they care about their own problems. You cannot just tell me about an issue that's going on with you and I just hear it and let it go. It sits in my heart. I sleep with it. I try and think of ways for you to get out. And then when I give you solutions or try and help and you don't follow through, which happens regularly, it's been burning me. And a lot of people that I've helped out so much I mean, out of my own personal pocket, I'm probably giving away two grand a month. Do you know what I could do with that myself? I could travel this world every month or go somewhere, but I don't. It's for other people. And those and it, the people I care for the most, it's like they don't care. So you ask me, and I'm giving you the raw. You ask me how I feel. I feel fucked up right now. <laughs> no, we want to hear that. And you know what? That comes Sorry. into like, no, it's good. And I'm glad you're being real and candid about that because coming from someone um, like me with a family background of humongous addiction, sister, mom, heroin addicts, dad just passed away last year from, um, overdosing on crystal meth. Like I am burned to the bridge. Like I can't, you know, Liat and I were, I was in Dallas and, you know, someone came up and asked her for, asked both of us for a couple dollars, right. Mm-hmm. A homeless person. And she opened up her wallet and, you know, gave the money. And I was like, no, I am. I literally have a history of this where I'm like, no, I don't. I, and I felt horrible. Right. right. I was burned and I don't want to feel that way. I want to feel open and yes, here you go. Here's your $3. Like she felt, and I didn't feel that way. And that's because we have a history of consequence that we've come into contact with. 
I'm just understandable. But yeah, so I'm I'm still just pushing right now. In 2017, which was a few years ago, um, two of my best friends, I, there's eight, like my clique, my crew that started when I was 15, give or take 10 of us, right? We didn't recruit. It was 10 of, 10 of my homies, mostly about eight of us. Um, 2017, not too long ago, I lost two of them, my best friends that actually made it to 35, 36 back to back within 60 days of each other right and these are close as fuck to me so when the first one died he died of an overdose he was sniffing um he thought he was sniffing cocaine just got out of jail and he he messaged me in my instagram dm tell me he you know I, I'm, I'm coming to paving great futures which is my organization i'm like come on and then um he died sniffing thought he was sniffing cocaine it was uh crushed fentanyl. up fentanyl yeah. and he od'd so, and then within 60 days, my other best friend, Kenny McKnight, he was shot in the head in Houston by a female pimp on the track. He was on his last, he was, he pretty much committed suicide. He was so tired of the life and didn't know how to get out. And there's no, okay, you're a pimp and you want to get out. Here's a program for you. That doesn't exist. Only program that exists for a former pimp is handcuffs. So he wanted to get out and kind of charge the person. He was, he put himself in a position where he would get shot almost intentionally and so he died and within that same year my little cousin who's 21 was murdered in sacramento so i have in the midst of already running these programs and organization and shit, I, I i have yet to really be able to stop and mourn and i'm i work harder now because i'm afraid if i do stop i'm gonna have to think about that and i'm not ready for that I'm yeah not. you stop right and then you feel it you, you stop feel it that's how I feel. I mean, Liat, well, if you ask her about me, right, she knows my history with my family. And she's like, I don't understand how you are, how hard you work, how much you do. I'm like, I will fill every single moment of my day to help other people to right. do this. Because if I stop, I can't, I'm afraid, right? I'm, I'm afraid, afraid of feeling all this shit that I went through and all this stuff. But it's yeah. nothing compared and not nothing is a comparison, right? You never right, know right. what anyone goes through. Nope. Um, but let me, I want to know, I really am so interested like how right so we both came from you know some crazy shit right and here we are now i feel here, so podcasting. boring here i'm so boring <laughs> i mean i guess i'll just have to throw in that i three of my fingertips froze off so i'm missing three fingers um but that's that's a as, story in itself i want to it is she's but i have to throw them out there when you guys are like like unfortunately i mean fortunately i grew up in a great household my parents were amazing um but I appreciate your stories. Like I, I love people in general who have gone through some form of adversity. Like anytime, like if I'm looking at someone for a job I want to hire someone for, I'm like, I want you. Like you've gone through a struggle, you know, no matter what it is. I mean, mine happened to be a lot of health struggles. I'm hospitalized way too often and it's hard. But like when I hear about what you guys have gone through, I'm just like, holy shit. But you guys are, you're doing something with it. That's amazing. All right, Armand, you shared yeah. some stuff with us about how you feel now, right? That real fucking shit. Right. Talk to us how you got into pimping, what that was like. I know what I listened to, and I will say this because again, hashtag stalker, you refer to it as juicing or juice, right? And that was you the were beginning. the, you were the, the MAC, beginning. you were the right. Mac, right? Master I call my dad the Mac. Mm -hmm. Or master of communication. You said you master, referred to yeah, master, master of communication, master yes. all categories. Yeah, 
all kind of fancy stuff. Tell us all about it. And I know, so you started with weed, right? Right. Then you got in trouble for weed. or you, Later. Or you... That was later. Much later. But uh, Pimpin' came in between the weed. I Like I said, um, honestly, um, it started off as juicing. I, I was a wannabe gang member until I was about 15, ninth grade in high school. Met my best friend, currently still my best friend. And he just basically was like, bro, gang banging is old. You'll die. You'll go to jail. You need to be a ladies man. I'm like, ladies man. Previously, I'm not thinking about no ladies man, nothing. I just was wanted to be from the hood where I was from. And uh, but as he took me shopping for the first time, bought me some fly clothes and went to the school dance. And I was like, hey, this is kind of fun. So it diverted my attention from trying to be a badass, which in really I was trying to be a badass. And looking back in hindsight, I was a badass because of what was going on in my family household. I just was a little kid and did not know how to react to the divorce, to the homelessness, to the not knowing where your next meal's coming from. I didn't know how to respond to that, what I should do. I, you know, uh, solutions was not on my mind. So I'm reacting at school, being a terrorist at school to get that out. Um, but yeah, so uh, from 15, 16 years old, most of my, my uh, sophomore and freshman year, we would just juice girls and they knew what was going on. It was if a girl was around you, she was buying you clothes. If she likes you, she's paying for your food. Even the girls that were just our friends and kind of were cool with us. It was a known thing. You had to take care of the guys. So they would buy us whatever we wanted. But it was not a pimp situation. It was nothing like that. We just juicing, you know, um, and like slowly meaning like juicing them for all they have. That, basically, right? That was like the slang term for where were these girls? Money. Where were these girls in the hood getting their money from? They're, you know, girls keep money. Girls have parents. They're not like us. Guys, we fuck off money. We're doing we're, we're, what were we doing with money? We were shooting dice. Girls weren't <laughs> shooting dice. Girls weren't doing this shit. They had parents that were or, or mom or whoever. They were getting their little bit of money. They had higher youth. They're working their jobs. This girls were doing some girls. There were some broke-ass girls, too. But uh, girls pretty much oh, we, kept... We didn't juice the broke-ass girls. There's some stimulus <laughs> discrimination there, right? No, 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 no. So, we... I mean, and it wasn't like it was big money. Like, it might have been $5. You're buying my KFC at school. You're getting me a jumbo jack at Jack in the Box. It was, you know... And then if you save up money... And then girls would ask their parents... We would have them ask their parents for money because I need this new Nautica jacket. You know, things like that. Or it'd you were be smart. Their, you were smart. It, we, we were. We were. It would be their school allowance to go get clothes, but half of that would go to their boyfriend of choice or this guy they like, and the rest would go to them. Not it's, uncommon. It's so sad, the shit we do when we want to be cool with a guy. I mean, yeah. we've all been that, you know? I think I'm still doing that. I'm like, oh, I'll pay for all no, no. the food and fun. <laughs> don't, don't act like this don't happen right now today. It does. Amen. I'm saying all just don't, The labels of pimp and whatever just not there, but it's similar. It's a lot of similar habits that go on today with the girlfriend that's just taking care of the guy. And he's able to just chill and do fucking nothing. It's but reinforcing his behavior of doing fucking nothing. 100%. And uh, Leah, you remind me, it's... Um, my, 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 one of my best friends, she actually works for our organization. She is a white girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, grew up in the suburbs, both parents in the household, never, ever abused. If anything, she was overly spoiled. She had everything she wanted. But at 16 years old, I introduced her to my brother, rest in peace, for the sole purpose of juicing her because she liked to pay 
the bad guys just to be friends with her. She was paying for friendship. She grew up with money, so she didn't care about money. She cared about friendship. So she would pay and pay and pay and pay. And when we turned out into well, turn out, meaning when we got involved in the pimping and prostitution, they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And then they evolved into pimp and prostitute at the time. They were together maybe a year after that. And then she left him to be with another pimp. And she's been literally, she's been like she's known as like the number one prostitute in San Diego. She was literally making a million dollars a year for over 13 years. She's been in the game for 20 years. When I, in the process of me writing this book and my documentary that I was creating, her being the first person I ever seen in the game, first person on the, on the blade out there on the whole straw that I seen working, that I was around, she had a major part to do with my story. So I had to locate her and find her. And when I found her, she, um, was on the, she, she too was on the verge of committing suicide slowly herself. Never been addicted to drugs before, but it's 20 years later, she's on, now on heavy drugs trying to just numb the pain. So I um, purposely got her out of the situation she was in. She wanted to get out and she's been with us now. She's our office manager. She's been with us for a little over a year now after 20 years in the game. So when you said that, how you grew up good, like that doesn't even fucking matter. You know what I mean? The 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 the, the vulnerabilities, the the things that people strive to one in friendships, all these different things. You could you could be a good, grow up in a great household. It, that the streets, the this fast life, it draw you out. It does not discriminate. So just for our listeners listening, I think I'm just gonna say one behavioral um, thing going on here. If you guys see that MOs, which Armand, I'll explain to you what we call motivating operations are like, what's that background information that's driving someone to do something? So Armand saying like, he grew up, he was literally homeless at a time. It's like, dude, I've got to figure out something to survive. Now, what is he going to do? It's going to establish, you know, um, money as something highly valuable or food as something highly valuable. So it's going to evoke behaviors he needs to do to gain access to this. Then we have girls who could be growing up in a perfect quote unquote family like my own, right? But they might be missing other things. They might have other MOs like, holy shit, I want a badass street friend. That's fucking right. cool to be able to hang with these guys that I could say like, yeah, I'm friends with it, right? Everyone wants something. So they get involved in it, but there's different motivating operations as to why different people are getting involved. So I think that's so important. And then one other thing I remember like Armand saying like, that you said you felt like such a man, the fact that you could get um, at age 12, you could get Jack in the box for your family or feed right. your family. You felt said like good. you felt so good. So that was highly reinforcing for you, right? Like really did. I felt, I felt good. And I would just, I would really steal food that was being passed out the um, drive through window at the Jack in the box by the house we were staying in. And like, we didn't have any food. So, I mean, until they caught on, I would just run, hide, take the bag that was being passed out bring it to my sister, my sister's handicap. I had a, a baby cousin and a cousin my age. And I didn't know it at the time, but my mom's addicted to drugs. She's gone. I didn't know it. She kept it from us, but now I know what was going on. And if I felt like a man and that, that feeling is still here with me today. Like I'm a pro natural provider for my, like now I provide for a community, not just my immediate family. You know, so these are traits that have always been there. And I'm going to tell you, out of those eight best friends I told you I had, not one of us had a dad in the house. Not one father figure. Nobody. Data right had, there, right? Right. Nobody that we could see an example of what a positive male was like. So we taught each other how to be men, 
how do you do that at 50? How do you teach another man that you don't know how to be a man, how to be a man? And, and the examples you're looking at are MTV rappers. or rappers, rappers. right? They like who just like hit a stroke of luck. Right. And those guys didn't have the right role models either. Majority of them. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, so now my role model, like I tell people, I, I, st- I, I graduated high school, but I haven't learned shit in the, this education system since the sixth grade. I graduated because I figured out how to master this dumbass system. And it was easy after that. Once I figured out their bullshit, I was able to manipulate every class and I graduated that, easy, you know. Um, not that I was learning, not that they were teaching me, or they even cared. You know, my junior high school years, I had straight F's and D's every semester, every year they passed me. Keep going. You're going to prison where you belong. It's their mentality. There was no summer school, no tutors, no nothing. How did I pass? How did you guys let me get out of here and go into high school? You know, so all those things, they, um, they, they matter. So we didn't have an example of what to be like, who to be like. And then thank God, not thank God, but HBO wants to play pimps up hoes down at four in the afternoon for my ass. So fresh off a of blunt, I come into the house with me and my friends and we sitting down looking at pimps up hoes down. And I swear if, if an emoji could have popped up over my head, it would have been a light bulb. And I, I was like, Oh, this is how we do it. Right. We're already telling ju- me how to do it. We're already juicing girls. Here's an example of older black men and these girls that all look happy, they're getting money, they're talking fancy, they're wearing fancy clothes, ding, 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 let's do it. And it wasn't, we start researching, we start imitating the way they spoke, the way they moved, we finally had something to look up to. Not knowing everybody in this documentary is a loser. I didn't know that until recently. And when I looked back, I'm like, those same people that looked at happy as hell was not happy as hell. They were full of shit. Um, one of them was a paid FBI informant the whole time he's talking all this pimping stuff. And the FBI was allowing him to pimp for many years because he was turning in people in his neighborhood. I didn't know that. I would have never respected him. He's a snitch. He's all this stuff. I, but at the time, these were our these were our role models. And then whatever was happening in that era right there, it wasn't just me and my group of friends because this was being spread across my whole peer group. And then the like. You know, if you go, if you haven't seen the documentary Pimps Up Hose Down, watch it just for curiosity. But you'll see pimps like Bishop Don Juan, uh, uh, Ken Ivy. Um, it's it's pimps in here, Snooky. It's pimps in there that we watched them in the documentary. But now the rappers that we already loved were taking excerpts of the documentary or having the pimp himself in their music. So it's like, okay, we got it on this end. But now we're hearing it in the music that we're already worshiping, worshiping the music. So it's a confirmation that this lifestyle was okay to us. Okay. And then you got you got songs like Jay-Z, Big Pimpin' coming out around this era. Everybody else in the world is dancing to it, loving it. I'm like, we're listening to the words. Big Pimpin' on Blades, on BLADs. He's not talking about he's not talking about being just a cool guy pimping. And then he has Pimp C and Bum B in the video with him. They were new to you, the- you. You didn't have the information that Jay Z was not actually pimping. He's like no, running, and no, he's no. only the richest man in the world. See, running every wasn't. business. Just like Snoop Dogg, we knew he wasn't. Snoop has been rich since nineteen. He didn't start talking this pimp shit till he was in his twenties. Like Snoop, when did you have time to be a pimp? You've been, <laughs> you've been married to the same woman since you were eighteen. When did this happen, Snoop? But my mind at sixteen, I'm not 
analyzing all like, this. Like, when did he have time? He was already Snoop Lion. Like, he had to go oh, through that whole transition. You're, you're fibbing, bro. You're fibbing. And now, so now as an older man, my question is, why are you fibbing? Right. You already For whose benefit? For whose benefit and who's directing this? Why? Why are you all of a sudden now coming out on stage with Bishop Don Juan, girls on leashes at award shows, manicured nails, long hair. You're not in low riders and dicky suits no more. You are Mr. Pimp Fresh. Mm-hmm. Why? And you're How? already rich. Where's their motivation? Already rich. Side note, Snoop Dogg, I think he is so creepy looking. <laughs> That's a side note. I think he is just like creepy. Hey, but- and I'm talking, I'm talking this shit, but I love these gentlemen. I love E40. He raised me. I've been listening to E40 since I was 10 years old. I mean, but that old. was your example. That, that's so insanity. That was, you guys, like, that's what success is, right? Like, you didn't have it modeled to you but in another way. Because you even said, when I spoke to you, you're, you said, I wanted to be an artist and an accountant. Mm. What the fuck changed? Didn't you say you wanted to be that as a kid? I, I wanted to be an artist. My brother, rest in peace, that was killed. He wanted to be an accountant. My the but the book cover, I think one of you guys said something about that's my other best friend. He he me and him were both artists. We were drawing, and now he's a fabulous artist and painter because he could finally be who he's supposed to be. But um, but yeah, all these things are things we wanted to do early on before we were introduced to all this other lifestyle. But it came a point in time the art wasn't paying the bills, and no one showed us how to make money off of art. So we knew what we knew, and it Which was is- selling weed and pimping. Which is really interesting because in behavior, we call that matching law, which says behavior goes where reinforcement flows. So like Mm. where you're making more money is where you're going to put more time or like what you're getting more shit out of, you're going to go to, right? So like if you have two girlfriends, you have one girlfriend who's buying you everything and you have this other girlfriend who's like, you know, yeah, or like barely, you know, she doesn't even give a good blowjob, whatever it is. You're going to go to the other one. You have two jobs. You can either go work at Walmart for for not 15, probably like nine bucks an hour at the time, right? right? Or you could do this, get some fast money. Why would anyone choose to do the other thing? And that's what I want to get. Unless they really, the only time you you choose different is when you've already gone through the shit and you realize the consequences. But when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you don't know what life is, period, really. You are learning. So- Especially like we were young, 17 years old, getting a thousand dollars a night. So you're gonna keep going after that. What job could you offer me? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Where I have to listen and check in with somebody I can't smoke with, hang out where I want to, play video games, and I know I'm gonna make a thousand dollars tonight. I do not want your Walmart job. You can keep it at that point. All right. So tell me this now. And you're a real hustler, which I think shows that first of all, what we talk about in behaviorism is like, you have this skill, okay? You have the skill of hustling. You right. now, and you are doing it actually. 100%. You could generalize that skill to hustling in another arena now, right? Uh-huh. So like, you're not hustling weed on the streets. You're not hustling prostitutes, nope. but you're hustling every day. Like, so tell us about what you do now. Like It's called transferable skills. Yeah, baby. Okay? Listen to that it's podcast. Good. It's one of the main things we teach as an organization, transferable skills. Okay, uh, talking about this behavior. Um, people that are in the life or in the game, they, they get in for so many years before they get out maybe or want to get out. What keeps people in is, especially the longer you've been in, you don't think you're capable of doing anything else. You don't think you're worth anything else. 
you didn't think you were worth anything before you got in. So this just further that that feeling that you're you're nothing, that this is all I can do. And we say this to each other. We brainwash each other all the time. Pimp till I die. Hold till I die. Pimping ain't easy. Hoeing ain't hard. All these different things constantly. Hoe up or blow up. Barbecue or mildew. It's like ah, ah, enforcing that this is the only lifestyle. And we make everybody outside of the lifestyle is a wrong person. They're the squares. They're the enemy. You don't want to be the scumbag, which is the square. So you go like, through this. What, what I have used to been like your square. You'd be like, fuck her. Right. Right. No, you square. You would we like, would I'd be like a straight square. 100 million percent. I'd be a square right now. But um, so transferable skills, we teach people. We show them that really if you've gone through years of this, you've gained so many skills and 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 have and, and good habits that you just need to know how to apply them correctly. I say same tools, different program. That same hustle, that same drive, that same tenacity, the money skills, the all oh, so much here that people that graduate Harvard and Yale don't have these skills. So if I can show you how to utilize them and tap into those, you can be extremely successful. I, I just realized, and I'm like, oh, I already have these skills. I didn't go to college, but I have these skills. How do I harness these skills and make something of myself? And that's what I've done. Done. And here we are, transferable skills to pay the bills. I like I, that. Transferable skills to pay the bills. And you were talking about in your podcast, I loved it. You were saying um, people who like you, right? You had to market yourself. You had to brand yourself. These right. hoes had to market themselves, sell themselves on Craigslist. Right. All these skills, right? I'm horrible oh, at selling myself. Liat has that skill, but like, I'm terrible. But like, yeah, listen, Armand, I might be a square. But I, I would be your best trick you ever had in terms of let selling me find myself. Out, let okay? me find out you got offended by getting called a square. No, <laughs> I might I might be an effing square. I'm not mad, okay? <laughs> I might be a square, but I'd be the best trick you ever had, okay? I am good at selling myself. Yeah. Okay? So okay. when you talked about branding and marketing those skills, right. I was like, this is so smart. He's genius. And you're right, right? How? And again, those are alternate behaviors to right. teach someone you know what it may not and again but guess what what is more motivating and money sometimes is that motivation right but if someone is shown how like I, I told you earlier i made a quarter of a million dollars in six months at my height i'm making 20 grand a week selling weed right mm -hmm. i had three different states in the united states where i'm Look how, you think big I, you think big I, you're I, like I, california i always thought big so i'm sending i'm sending via mail to three different states okay and just catching teddy bears full of money at 20, 21, before I go to jail, I, I was commerce. That was, I had a product. I had three different operations. Like if someone would have gave me uh, something and like, here, <laughs> yes. here's your product. Come work for me. Let me intern with me. Let me show you how I'd be a millionaire right now yeah. without ever going to jail. But those options weren't there available for me. I had to make my own lane. And what did I use? I used what was around me. You know, you got people that grow up in this fucking box and we expect people to think outside that box, but they've been in this box their whole life. And not just them, their older cousins, their parents, their uncles, their grandmama been in this damn box. And then we're like, as soon as you try and make away from what you learned in that box, you're going to prison. But no one ever comes in with the proper resources and opportunities to get those kids to think outside the box. I, I, I deal with little kids, 12, 13 years old. We we interview them before they come to our program. We ask these little majority, little black and brown boys, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? NBA, 
NFL music across the board for years. That's all you're hearing. Those are kids that are growing up in a box that only see these limited options for themselves to succeed. But like myself, 5'7", at the time, 130 pounds, no athletic ability. What the fuck? <laughs> it was, it wasn't well, you better long. learn to rap. And, 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 but, and where I'm from, everybody raps. I'm like, what am I going to do? Just join the party? Like, everybody, rap, rap isn't even, in, in where I'm from, in most places, really, rap isn't even a, a music. It's the language. It has become a, a, a form of, of, of dialect. It's verbal behavior. Every, everybody raps. Who am I going to be? We got, we have great rappers right here in San Diego. They ain't going nowhere. Right. They're not blowing up. Differentiate so, yourself from that. Yeah. Right. So the things that aren't paying the bill, you learn really quickly. Okay. I'm not going to be in an NBA. That's so slim. NFL's out. I can't rap. I can dance a little bit. Where am I going to get money from, from that? Oh, but here, oh, my uncle said here, pack this weed like this and send it to Atlanta. You're going to be okay. And then I get 10 grand back. Oh, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I love how realistic you are because I'm here. I'm I'm a Jewish girl. I, I can't tell you how many Jewish boys have to have this like, like this come to reality moment, like comes to college. They're like, I'm going to be a walk on on the basketball team. It's like, no, you're not. You're five, seven, honey. You're a Jewish boy with an Jew fro. You're not getting in. And they like their parents, their whole life. That's the Jewish thing. It's like, you could be anything you want. You're so talented. But at least you were realistic, and you're like, "Look, I'm not." <laughs> it's not happening. No, I'm laughing because this this literally right. the case for all these Jewish boys who are five seven, and their parents told them they could be anything. Yeah, so, but then as soon as they come to my school or went to the school I go to, then you see the people that really do have the talent. You're like, "Oh, yeah, shit, let, exactly. let me stay in the stands and cheer." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you created this program. And so what do you provide for individuals now? So your main, what is your main goal? You wake up every morning. What's your purpose? To build an entity, an organization that people in the community um, can come to, 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 to help their lives. Be, I, I want this entity to be, if you need a job, we got a job for you. If you need job training, we got that for you. If you're trying to own your own business, we want to help you build that. If you just, if you need clothes, we got that. We just want to be um, we want to be known. We want to be the source of, um, of helping lives and also a financial source for other groups and organizations that need it. Because like I said, I've been in this, in this nonprofit realm for going on nine years now. Right. And wow. still the same problems and conditions that we were created to help are still there. And it's not an influx of money coming into the community. Like, and I almost, I honestly don't think society, government as a whole really even wants to help. And I, I come to this conclusion, I, I, I'm in court a lot and I'm sitting around and I, um, I'm, a, I'm a court expert, court uh, advocate, expert witness for human sex trafficking cases, right? And I get paid extremely well for just the little part I play. Let's say one case I made 23,000 as an expert. So I'm like, that's just little old me. There was three other experts. There was the judge, the plaintiff, the this guy, the lawyers. This was easily this one case was in at least half a million dollars. And there's, there's then there's hundreds of these going on in this one building. There's thousands of these going on across America. And then you got when you go to jail and your house in the jail, the janitor there, the COs there, the warden there. Like, oh, if crime was to stop, if crime in just the inner cities was to stop, we would crush the economy. You know how many people are eating off of crime right now? 
that it can't stop. So we got to continue to lock up and fill up these prisons with black and brown bodies and poor whites. That's it. And and everyone else, if you got if you could pay the bill, you're out. If you can buy the right lawyer, you're out. If you can make if you have the right connections, you're out. But if you don't, like most of the rest of us, you're in. America, I'm waiting for somebody to dispute this and show me what do we produce as a country that the rest of the world buys? But also, you know, what, what, what are the, what are these, really good question. What, what are these prison systems Cars, also doing? World, other like, but what are the prison systems doing also to decrease this behavior in future? Zero. Like, are they, are, are they, are they, are they offering any treatment? Are they offering eh. this? Are they offering a box no. checks, box checks? They have the things box checks, but just like there's organizations out here, there's big organizations that have been existing forever. But the people don't know they fucking exist. The people that, that's why we, well, our color for our organization is, we call it beam green. It's the brightest color known to man right now. Safety green, color of construction workers wearing shit like that. And it, it, that kept color came from when we stepped into this, a lot of older folks were, were telling them what we want to do. And they're like, oh, we had this already, or we did this. We're like, well, I grew up my whole life and didn't know you existed in the same community you're saying you had this at. We're like, fuck that. Anybody needs help, they're gonna know we're here. They're gonna know they have a friend, and you're gonna see us. So it, that's what. So do they come to you and recruit help, or you go to them? Like, will you go into like the hood? And we're in the hood. I'm in the hood right now. So that's the thing. People ask us often, "How do you get your participants?" Because we stay full. We never have a problem, and we we are heavy on social media. But we were the cool kids. Me and my co-founders, we were the cool kids in the bad world. We just transferred over and made being good the new cool. So a lot of our friends, we, we already knew everybody. We already ran with all the gangsters. We already ran with all the pimps, all the prostitutes, our homegirls. We knew and we were already cool. My, my, my co-founder, my partner, one of the biggest rappers in San Diego. You know what I mean? He, so it, he, he was already hood famous, popular. So when we did this, people were just automatically already attracted to us. So we were like the right people for the job. It couldn't have just been anybody that came in and had this connection. You had to be the right people. So now just like puzzle pieces, because we know we're we're not the end all. We need other people. We need the squares. We need the other people that have all these other different jobs and things, even though you yourself might be not be the person that could go into the hood and talk to these young men because they won't listen to you, even though me and you are saying the same thing. But you you got a talent or a skill that can help add to what we're doing. I can't type. I need somebody basic shit. So, you know, you know I, I know when we spoke on the phone, I asked you a question and I said, like, you know, you're able to speak to these people because you lived it. You had the experience. Right. They care to listen to you. Right. Like right. you're what we call it in, in behavior. We call it pairing. Right. Like you could pair with this individual like, yo, I got you. Yeah, I know what it's like. I had that same thing. I had a I had a sibling next to me who was starving and didn't eat for days. Like, I get it. OK, so right. there's that. And I totally agree. That gives you way more street cred, cred in general, anything. Like, I'd want to listen to you more when you've been through something, right? Right. Now, there's also, so I, I asked you on the phone. I said, you know, when I got my first job as a special education teacher, I decided I wanted to make a huge difference. So I worked at a charter school in the hood of D.C. and northeast D.C., like we had to have security walk us from our car to into the school because it was a really unsafe area. And I remember, like, I mean, there was all these African-American kids, and I really wanted to make a difference. And I had one, and I was a special ed teacher, 
And so there was one kid and I, I remember being like, I just want to help this kid so much. These behavioral things, I could see what's going on. If we could just do this and this at home, whatever it is. And I said, you know, I wanted to know how can I make a difference? And I, and I asked Armand, I was like, but what can I do? Like, why do they want to listen to me? This white square girl coming and telling these parents about their child. I, so I said, what can I do? I had a hard time pairing with these families. So I told you that we had an African-American um, principal who would have to make the calls to these families. And you said something that was really cool to me. And, and I said, what can I do? Like, I, I want to be there to help. I want to, I understand them not wanting to listen to me. Like I get it actually. And you said something really important about a football team. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what it was? Yeah. Say it again. Oh, that's my fate. I love that. Um, it's my analogy with the work that we're doing, you know, a football team. Um, there's many different pieces to a football team, right? Um, but we often, we just think the linebacker, the quarterback, the people on the field are that that's the it. But without realizing is that um, the water boy, he's not insignificant. If the team didn't have water and hydration, what would the team be able to do? The cheerleaders even, the crowd just being there to cheer people on, the coach who's giving direction and telling them where, what plays to run. Many coaches have never even played the game, you know, but they have a different intellect. They know they're seeing things differently and not all, every player can be a coach. And then you have the owner of the team, you have the financers of the team, all of these pieces are equally important. If they, if one of them was not there, we would not be able to accomplish our goal as, 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 as much as we could. So I'm saying I may be that person that's on the field, taking the hits, getting dirty cleats in the dirt. That may be me because that's where I'm best at, but there's all these other positions that need to be fulfilled. So the, where we fuck up is a lot. Some people think that they're the one and they can, they're going to do everything and fulfill all positions, but that's not for you to do. So it's like finding those, you know, recruiting draft every year. You should have a personal draft in your life. Who's working out for you and your goal. Who's not get rid of them. You know what I mean? Every year needs to be a draft. The NBA, NFL, these sports teams have a draft every year. How much more important is your life? So definitely uh, every player, every person in this team is needed. And that's just where I was, I, what I was telling you, like, you know, play your position, basically. I, I love that. So, but just saying, and I think this could also help a lot of behavior analysts listening to this right now. Let's say we're working with someone and, you know, it, it's, it, it's not just this, you know, this white versus black thing. It's also right. like cultures in general. How can we work? Like, how would you say the best way to, you know, I agree. Why would someone want to listen to me going to talk to them on the street? They'll be like, shut up. And mind you, this is not a color thing either. There is thousands of black people I would never put in certain groups that I'm with because it's not their color. It's not, it's their relatability. And I have, I have close ass white boys I know that could come in and would deliver, you know what I mean? So it's not that it, um, you know, if you're relatable, you're relatable, you know, right. it's, it's, it, but it's certain barriers. It is a, it is a race barrier. There is a age barrier. Like I'm getting older now I'm 38, but my hair is getting gray. The, the, the youngsters in junior high that I mentor, when they see me after the summer and they're like, oh, the first thing, a couple of them are like, oh, you're getting old. You're old. They're, I'm going to start aging out of them listening to me. So what I'm purposely doing is bringing up the next generation that, that are in their 20s that are still be relatable and get putting them in position because that's who the kids are listening to. Pretty soon I'm about to be dad. 
you know, and um, and then my words have less value to them. That's just okay. how the shit works. Sorry. I, I mean, I love what you're saying. I think it's so important. And when you said that, I just think it's really important for like, you know, any like clinicians listening, like how we can work with people and, you know, be understood. So like, but my last question for you is this. Do you think see it being more beneficial early intervention, like getting in there while they're young, as opposed to trying to get in there when they've already been hustling for a while, making this money. Um, I, um, I think that made sense to you right there, what you said, of course, like, you know, it is way easier for us to help somebody before they go down the wrong path than it is to go rescue somebody that's on the wrong path already, especially the longer they've been in more, um, you know, around fucked up shit in toxic relationships, being toxic themselves. If we could stop you before that happens, that is the best thing possible. You know, our organization, we do prevention, intervention, and we help people that are, you know, that are ready to get out all the way of different types of lifestyles. But those kids, if you can stop this kid, which the most critical age is that junior high school age. I call that the wannabe group. By high school, you kind of already chose where you're going and the more into high school, you you think you know everything. So that junior high age, the wannabe stage, that's where you get to these youth. Um, try, and, try and give them as many tools so they can navigate through this life because the school, the school itself is not giving you the tools to navigate through life. They're still teaching you the color of Neptune. Who gives a fuck? When have you ever needed to use that? Give me, show me, talk. I want a whole class about the IRS in ninth grade. I want to know how to balance my checkbook. I want to know, you know what I mean? I want to know how to be as a man and a woman. I want to know. How to invest your money, whatever to, it is. I, that, that part. I want to know how important credit is. Really know. Not, not your little flashby class. I, don't, I could care less about geometry. You know, I, a chemistry. It, those are good things. I mean, this this thing you're talking about is the exact same issue we run into working with kids with autism, for example. Like, my brother's 23 years old, okay? They're still trying to have him, like, up until, like, last year, they were, like, he was on a regular school system and before he turned 21. They were having him do, like, he has, like, the, 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 the IQ of, like, a two-year-old, right? And they were trying to have him do like Shakespeare. I'm like, how important is this to the kid? Like, we need to make sure he can make something for himself in the kitchen. Right. If he needs to, he could shower himself. Yeah. And it's the same problem that right. people are focusing on shit that's not important and not functional. And it pisses me off. I feel you. Yep. Same. But, <laughs> I mean, what you're doing is like, if, if you're not getting the recognition for what you're doing out there, I know sometimes People probably aren't realizing how much, you know, everything they tell you is weighing on you and, you know, you're an empath. You're taking on what they're going through and, but you should know, like, I mean, I personally am so thankful for people like you. Like if I could be, I told you this on the phone, if I could be involved in any way in your organization, whether it's like donate money to your organization, whatever it is, I want to do it because I think it's so important what you're doing. And I hope that this message, you know, that people take away that there's a, that no behavior happens in a vacuum. There's some kind of MO there. Like there was, you didn't have food. You had to get food, right? You, someone didn't have friends. They wanted friends. So they're being, they're the juicies, not the juicers, <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah, um, say that. Whatever it is. And so the juicies. you like that? I like See, it. I'm again, not a square. I'm cool. 
you're AF. More rec- you're like a rectangle, right? Yeah, now I'm like rectangle. Actually, my body shape more like an oval, but you know. <laughs> oh um, shit, you're funny. <laughs> um, I'm gonna in the show notes. We're adding your book that yes. everyone needs to get their hands on. Get it. Growing up in Pimp City. Get it. Raised, raised in Pimp raised City. in Pimp City. It's cool. It's amazing. Armand, thank you so much for coming on. Casey had to run because she committed to walking someone's dog and they're about to be home from work. So they need to know. So I need your help with one thing. At the end of the episode, I'm going to say love you and you're going to say mean it. Okay. Got it. Okay. As always, guys, thanks for tuning in. Armand, thank you so much. Again, as always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started he records our shows he posts them he adds awesome awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing he sends us teaser episodes he does it all we just sit here and friggin' talk we shoot the shit and you can record from home your office the park a bathroom stall at work it doesn't matter he provides the complete podcast studio all you need is a microphone and you're good Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 